There you are. <laughs> you two in the background. I don't know whether you can hear that, but you'll hear me singing along to it. And then we turn it to something else. It was John Lennon a minute ago. So, one reason I like this cafe is because the music's pretty good. So, good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, welcome to Free Association. This is uh, more or less a breakfast show. Plan is to start at around 9am my time. As many days a week as I can manage. Which will be three or four probably. Um, I'll do them all from this, this cafe. So if I do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, for the sake of argument. I know there's a breakfast show going on on Mondays and Fridays on brand new tube which Sonia Pilton does a good job of so I'm not competing with anybody if I start at 9 o'clock I don't want to compete with anybody quite honestly I just want to do my own thing and have an audience so the timing is important, important enough because uh, I know there's an audience on brand new tube I know there's an audience on Podbean uh, there's an audience on Odyssey as well, so I need to coordinate a time that works for the UK and Europe and a time that works for the States and so far 9 o'clock here works for me at least and I'll see if there's an audience for it and about 2pm here which is about 6 a.m. I think or 7 a.m. in the States something like that Eastern so it's early early morning so I can do a two o'clock show and do it as a a wake-up show for the States just like as a news clip show and I'll do this one as a news clip show and we'll see how we get on with it anyway it might evolve into something else but the moment that's the way I'm thinking about it. So I'm gonna have a look on BitChute. Which is my main source of clips. And I'm gonna slurp the coffee and just have a look in the news and news and politics to start with. I'm going to stick with the UK and Europe for the time being. And I haven't listened to any of these, so... Alright, here's a clip from GB News. This is Colin Matthews. We love to hear what our viewers and listeners think of all the big stories of the day. So let's talk to one 
right now. GB News viewer Colin Matthews, who's in Gillingham. Uh, good morning to you, Colin. It's it's really good to see you today. What do you make of, of all this? I, mean, I don't know if you're a driver, but you know the, these fuel prices are absolutely rocketing now. Okay, let's kick on the old. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Rosie. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, uh, let's, let's touch on that fourth thing. Uh, a driver, just a general domestic driver, retired now, fully state retired next year. So, so that's my position. Um, but fuel locally, one pound sixty-seven litre. Um, I feel that my wife's car because she likes me to fill it up, and I think, oh my goodness. How many litres? How much does that cost? Uh, so, yeah, I'm feeling uh, from a car owner, or three months, who does driving with her job, yeah, we're feeling the impact, Steve. Do you find yourself, I mean, for the, the, the sort of leisure driving, if you like, I know we've all got to get to work and go to the shops, but sometimes it's nice to have a spin out, isn't it, at the weekend? Are you, are you finding yourself doing less of that as a result, or curbing your activities? Well, Steve, I've got three sons. One lives in Marden, Essex. One who lives the other side of Mason in, uh, sorry, Malden in Essex. One in Marden, Mason, and one in London. And I have to think twice about the uh, trip uh, over the Dartford Tunnel over into Essex, which can be an hour, ten, or it could be, who knows, three, four hours. Um, so there's an impact on that, which is a shame when my two granddaughters are. But yeah, you do, you do uh, think maybe of a trip, um, uh, as opposed to the number of trips you might have done in the past. Uh, Colin, it's not just driving that's getting more expensive, is it? It's going on holiday, just doing your supermarket shopping. Have you been looking at what's coming in and, and what's going out and making changes to your spending? Well, Rosie, I'm a bit lucky, I guess, that I'm not working, I'm retired, and uh, those yellow ticket items on the right morning, there you go. Um, and so I'm on deflation, not inflation. <laughs> there are some good deals to be had, but you've got to be quick. Was it the, the best bird? deals? What do you hunt out for? Oh, uh, meat, I guess. Yeah. Because meat is particularly expensive. Um, there, there can be some meal deals there um, but there's a, a variety of things but as I say um, you have to be quick and sometimes also you go to stores and they're putting it out in the reduced area and they put a ribbon now around the operator who's, who's putting reduced items because people well they just want to take them quick uh, so they have to protect the, the, the store person now while they're putting them on the shelves and then when they move yeah it's even for themselves it reminds you of old, old shop sales you know yeah, yeah. It, I, I tell you what, it's it's interesting, isn't it? There's, there's so much demand for for all of that. Are you? Uh, we we're talking to someone at the end of the last hour about food waste and things, and you know, big advocate of, of freezing a load of stuff. I mean, is it, 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 are you a sort of freezing family? Because if you if you get those the, those sort of you know. Let me tell you, I had a lovely garden last year. I've got a half a garden now because it's an allotment. Um, decided at the beginning of the year from seed to go for herbs, vegetables, fruit, you name it. And uh, I'm already now enjoying spring onions, lettuce. I've got loads. Of, if you want any potatoes, Rosie, and Steve, I've got loads out there in the garden. Uh, <laughs> I love a baked potato. Potatoes have come down 14%. <laughs> they have. Actually, it's really really surprising some of the foods that over the last year, well, pasta's gone up 50%. Potatoes have gone down. So has cheese. I, I wonder what sort of the market factors are at play there. I've got it here. I've got it here. 
And do you know what? If you was a university undergraduate, you don't know if I, I don't know if they would cry or laugh because pasta up fifty percent, mince beef up sixty percent, but because a, a, a student likes to speak bold, doesn't he? But pizza down fourteen percent, cheese down seven percent, potatoes down fourteen percent. So I think there's going to be a massive drift to pizzas. <laughs> do you do you follow these figures or have you done revision for your appearance on breakfast this morning? Uh, two things, Rosie. You are right. I won't lie. Um, obviously, food food impact. There was an interesting article on it this morning, um, which I did follow, and uh, it talked about income groups and how the poorest group are going to be impacted by 11% up, and the richest group are only impacted by 9%. So work that one out. Yeah, I don't know. But don't go anywhere. I just want to. I just want to ask. Um, Paul in the studio or something because it's about I mean, it's interesting what Colin's on there and there's a growing his own stuff yeah. and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, it is. People, does, people do need to prioritise, don't they? Now, of course they do. I mean, during times of uh, sadly, during times of economic uh, troubles, if you like, then people do need to prioritise. But it's interesting what Colin was also saying about travelling. You can see people people travel less. They're likely to go out less, go to restaurants less, do go to the theatre maybe less or go to the cinema or whatever it might be and this is how the economy starts to sort of shrink a little bit discretionary spend slows people look as you quite rightly say as Colin Quire says I thought I could now grow my own vegetables which hopefully sounds like he's also enjoying a little bit as well there's nothing like eating at home your homegrown vegetables but it, it, the fact of the matter is that it, and you can see why higher oil prices and higher energy costs are a taxation on the overall broader economy yeah yeah, no, you certainly can. Uh, look, Colin, I was going to ask you, because uh, uh, we're all having a bit, if we can afford to, having a bit of a splurge this weekend for the Jubilee, what what are your plans? Okay, um, we have the Midway Queen in Gillingham. It's a paddle steamer, which has just been completely refurbished and repainted at Ramsgate. And uh, there are uh, tour guides on board the, the, the paddle steamer. Um, with uh, cream teas and uh, such like in the afternoon with 1940s music playing and I'm going to do a bit of a, a tour guiding on the Friday, so that's my Friday. Uh, on the Thursday with my son, uh, going to watch the old beacon lit in Marden uh, and then uh, go and see the mother of all on Saturday. <laughs> 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 Can I just ask, on the back of that door, who are you trying to keep out and why? What? On the oh, other yeah. side. No, on the other on side. On the other side. Not a big note to say keep out. That's the, that's the cellar that uh, the son lived, lived, he lives down there. That's what he does all his great things and all that. Oh, so he, he doesn't want you out. This is trouble with these pesky children, Colin. <laughs> You can't even go into parts of your own house now. Uh, what, 25? Yeah, real child, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it... Um, I tell you what, there's been a lot... I know we're, we're quizzing you over everything this morning, but there's been... Obviously, we've, we've talked about housing a lot for, for... I mean, years and years and years now. In terms of your, because if you've got a 25-year-old at home, is it? I mean, do they really struggle in, in looking to either rent a place or save up for a deposit and all that sort of thing? We brush this one to death because I, I, I tell them that I bought my first house for fifteen thousand pounds in 1979, and they go, "What?" I said, "Yeah, but interest rates were about I don't know, 30 uh, percent, something like that." We had really hard times then, but we got mortgages. But today, uh, jobs. Uh, 
zero contracts, um, can't get credit on them, can't get mortgages on them. They try to save, and every time they save, house prices go up. It is a, it's, it's a big issue for this uh, this 18 to 13-year year, year group. It really is. I feel, I feel for them big time. Yeah. Is there a threshold for how long you know, you're happy to have children at home, or is it just for the foreseeable? <laughs> <laughs> for as long as they want to stay here, <laughs> if they if they put money aside, then then that that's, if 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 they were what's the right term boozing it up, if they were just being silly with the money, then that's that's not good. But no, they're very sensible when they are saving. Yeah, it seems like you've got a, a really nice family there, Colin. I mean, you, you, yeah. you're definitely a family man. Well. Well, this is my two stepkids. My three sons are done and dusted. They're ten years. They're ten years up the generation. So they're lucky. They've got houses. They've got kids. They've made it. They crossed the line. But it's this, this poor pandemic uh, group. This this job opportunity group. That, uh, how can I say? There's lots of parents and, and guardians out there that all all saying the same thing. You know, we'll support them, but. You know, we think about our time, and we we leapt, we, we leapt off the, the, the ship, didn't we? All left and uh, went and did our thing. But right, let's leave it there because it is upsetting, really. Yeah, yeah. No, it it is, it is. It's a, it's a changed world for a lot of these people. Um, well, what I'm hoping, Stephen, Stephen, what I'm hoping is that um, where we had so much industry, so much manufacturing that created uh, training and apprenticeships and guys to get uh, skills that we go back to bringing bringing what we, we made back into this country and we, we could then take on these uh, people to, to um, take on their jobs again like, like we had with decimated steel with decimated automotive with decimated shipbuilding dockyards you know these are all places that created jobs create opportunities and what created us skilled people to, to, uh, to do jobs thereafter, nutritions, uh, etc., etc. That's what we've lost. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I'm from my 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 grandparents and uncles and all that on my on my mom's side were all uh, shipbuilders up in Barrow at Vickers, um, and 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 that's really that's really reduced in size now. BAE uh, systems much 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 smaller than it used to be. Uh, but you, but you're right, I and mean, there seems to be a lot of a lot of focus on getting everyone to university and not getting apprenticeships and and, and learning a trade. Correct. I mean, fail BA. I, I was GEC up at Roster, uh, and they took me on from school, and I never looked back, Stephen. I did commercial trading scheme there, and I went on to do a wonderful career there, working on military and commercial aircraft, and and it's a fantastic platform to to move on, but. There were six thousand when I started. Six thousand employees. I think. I think then now there's something about three hundred, four hundred, maybe six hundred people. Tenth. That's that's across the country. I'm sure it is. It, it's interesting because what the, the, the sort of general idea you're pointing towards is is self-sufficiency. Now, now, now we're out of Europe and all the rest of it. We do need to be more self-sufficient, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Bring back pounds and ounces. You're going to set the GB News uh, inbox flooding. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Colin Matthews. Really, really appreciate your time. Vote Colin. Vote Colin. Vote Colin. I think we will be. Colin, thank you 
very much indeed. It's a joy, an absolute joy. And Paul Cedric, thank you as well. Pleasure. Thank you very much. You have much. a job to beat Colin on that one, don't you? Well, I'll tell you what, I was only sitting there thinking to myself that the points that Colin raises that he's just been discussing and highlighting, you could spend half the morning talking about. Because mm. yeah. there's a lot of topics there that, are, that, are, that resonate, I'm sure, with a lot of people and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah the thought that I thought at the end is that the point about trying to encourage industry and that sort of thing, I mean, it's hopefully the government will realise that that's needed investment, it's needed encourage investment and that sort of thing, which is important as well. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely right. Paul, uh, thank you very much indeed. This is why we love talking to you, because I've got all those ideas and thoughts that, that, that Colin had. Yeah, and what would your individual vote winner be? Would it be going back to power for the house? Mm. Is, is there anything else that you're going to, you know, with absolute glee light up and say, oh, well, I'd, I'd vote for that. Um, it was absolutely fantastic to speak to Colin and you know as ever on this program we love uh, hearing from you directly so if you'd like to feature and chat to us then let us know. Interestingly on Dan Wooden's show last night they, they put a, a Twitter poll out about pounds and ounces. Should the UK return to imperial managed, uh, measurements? 60% uh, said no. Mm. Sorry it. Colin. Uh, I have to say I, I wouldn't like it because I mean I'm, I'm 48 and I don't know. I thought we answers. weren't revealing how old you were because people, people keep thinking that Stephen is much younger than he is. Uh, so I think I just play up to it. No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but even at my age, I don't understand pounds and ounces. So there's a big generational divide. But how do you weigh yourself? Kilograms. Really? Oh, no, I'm still in pounds and ounces. Are you? Yeah. Oh, no, kilo, um, kilograms. Right, let's there move you on. You can email us about that <laughs> one. From, our, like from our age and our weight. <laughs> Yeah, look at this, how old you are, Rosie. Yeah, Alright, so that was GB News. And uh, it looks like there's a couple of people been in. Uh, trouble is, this early in the morning, it's... Um, what time is it in the States? Five hours behind nine o'clock. So eight, seven, six, five, four o'clock in the morning. And... Uh, which is fine, but it means that there's not very many people around. So I'll, what I'll do is I'll just play some clips, and we'll take it from there. Uh, I want to have a look back in the news and politics. Let's have a bit of Hugo talks because I didn't agree with him yesterday. So I don't know what he's going to be talking about today, but. Hello, you're listening to Hugo Talks. The Queen's Platinum Jubilee is coming up this weekend, and the UK and the rest of the world are going to be subjected to the nauseating sight of a torrent of sycophantic, obedient, bootlicking BBC fake stream media presenters and celebrities all worshipping and drooling at the feet of the royal family. Yeah? Well, you will be subjected to it if you choose to watch any of it. Of course, you can not watch it and you can choose to switch it off. But it's also very difficult to get away from these things when they make such a big deal about it. But do you know how much this Platinum Jubilee is costing? The Times, I believe, said it estimated it to cost between 1.3 to 1.5 billion pounds. 
And seeing that is coming from the fake stream media, I'd say it's probably far more than that. They're playing it down, the cost. Either way, this is an insane, an insane amount of money. Any money spent on this super rich establishment family of entities is too much and at any time. But at a time as now, when energy bills are going through the roof, poverty is reaching an all-time high, people out of business or going out of business due to the knock-on effects of lockdowns, and here we have these fake stream media goons telling people they should go and celebrate this rubbish. Some old lady, the head of a family, who it says here, it says here Forbes estimated in 2017, the royal family as a whole is worth 88 billion. Let's celebrate these super rich people. Let's spend money on them. Are you crazy? An old lady, the queen, who the other day gave 12 million hush money to Virginia Roberts so she would just go away and not talk about her son in court and what he has done. The cost of the Platinum Jubilee is estimated to be 1.3 to 1.5 billion. And you know what? I reckon the majority of the population of the UK couldn't care less, couldn't give us stuff. In fact, the majority, I believe, are against it. They just don't think others feel the same because you have the fake stream media telling them how everyone wants to celebrate it. As, as they call it, they call it a joyous event. You know what you can get for 1.5 billion? You know you could build about seven to eight hospitals with 1.5 billion. You could give one million households, one million of the poorest households, about 1,300 pounds each. I mean, that would help at a time of food banks and people not being able to put their heating on. Now, I know you're going to get some muppet in the comments who's going to say, oh, but the Jubilee will generate billions for the economy, you know? No, it won't. Who told you that? Some spin doctors? It's only for four days. I've seen reports from the BBC saying it may generate a billion in revenue. Well, if that was true, you're still at a loss. Then others say it may generate three billion. Yeah? How? Merchandise? Well, merchandise from the last Jubilee generated 200 million. And where do you think that money is going back to? 200 million on merchandise? Not much considering the last Jubilee cost a billion. And what? Hotels? Are they going to be busy, are they? Tourists? Are they going to come and spend money? Pubs? Are going to sell a few extra pints, are they? Well, big deal. Now, where exactly is this revenue going? Going into the pockets of the rich, that's where, ain't going to be helping out the poor or those that really need it. And if it's such a big money spinner, why don't you do it every weekend and make billions every weekend? No, you won't, because it's a big blowout, that's why. It's a scandal. It's a sign of the times that a society will allow this to happen. That so much money can be spent on the richest people in the country, in, in the world, on a pointless, trivial, feudal ego trip. People should be outraged. The contradiction here, the hypocrisy here is off the charts. I mean, <laughs> what better way to come to terms with new sky-high levels of poverty and inequality? Right, I agree with him, but yeah, <laughs> he's, uh, he's describing it very well, he's expressing it very well. I'll let him continue. Quality than by watching the Windsors parading their wealth and expecting you to wave a flag at them while they look down at you and wave lazily back from their balcony 
of one of their 30 palaces. Yeah, let's celebrate a woman who owns a three million pound hat, a 25 million pound chair, and has a one billion pound jewel collection. And the fake stream media are trying to brainwash the public to actually go out and celebrate these freeloaders. You're having a laugh. Are you crazy? How much of this 1.3 billion, 1.5 billion is coming from the taxpayers? I mean, I can't find much info on that one. Probably all of it. It wouldn't surprise me. Anyone who celebrates it, who partakes in this disgusting waste of money on these talentless money sponges is a moron. I'm sorry to say, but obviously the mind control over the years has worked too well on you. You need to snap out of it. And what exactly are you getting? What are you getting for this 1.5 billion? Well, there's a party at the palace gig, loads of substandard popular drivel that you've all heard a million times over the years. Who are the big two names? Rod Stewart and Tyana Ross. Well, I suppose it's a day out from the care home for them to. Then there's Ed Sheeran doing a gig on another day. The tedious, the tedious Ed Sheeran. Red Arrow's doing a flyby. Woo! Queen waves from the balcony. Woo! Wow, a jubilee pageant. 1.5 billion? Huh? Here's a picture of what's going on here. <laughs> it looks crap, doesn't it? 1.5 billion, eh? Act one for Queen and Country, it says. Act two. Who's that? Basil Brush? What's Basil Brush doing there? Darlings? Basil Brush? Cliff Richard? Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. It's like, it's like a nightmare. And that chef guy? What's he going to be doing? Not much. Act three. And celebrate. Who's that? Is there a, a drag queen parade? Do I have one of them these days? Act four. Happy and glorious. Ed Sheeran. What is this? Some form of punishment for the public? Have the public... This is, a, this is a man with opinions about every single thing you can possibly imagine. So <laughs> just take him with a pinch of salt. I'm, I agree with what he says about the Queen, though, and about the Jubilee. I just uh, I think he could, you could express it more like a 20-year-old and less like a 75-year-old sometimes. Uh, I'll kind of let him carry on anyway. Since Hugo talks on YouTube. There's only another five minutes or so to do it. Public not suffered enough. It's got to be some kind of sick psychological torture the establishment are inflicting on the public. And some of the public actually like it. If that is you, then you have completely lost it. So, okay, well, as you can, t as you can tell, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence here. I'm not really going to disclose how I feel about the Platinum Jubilee. I'm keeping my opinion to myself. I don't know. It's insane. And if the world accepts this carry-on as normal, this ridiculous expense on these obscenely wealthy people, at this specific time, after everything that's happened recently, then what can you say? I mean, words fail me. Saying that, though, much of that impression is coming from the media. And I feel that the majority of the people are actually against it and are not in favour of this nonsense. But it's the fake stream media and their illusions that they project out through their media platforms and all of their influences that make people think otherwise. And therefore, people, it makes them generally afraid to speak up about it, to show their dissent, because they have been led to believe they are in the minority, but it's actually the opposite.
reality is that they are probably the majority. So don't be afraid to speak out and call this out for the obscene waste of money that it is. As always, thanks for listening. Comment, subscribe to HugoTalks.com and I'll see you later. All right, that's Hugo Talks. Um, always good for an opinion. Uh, sometimes I agree with him, sometimes I disagree with him, but he's always good for an opinion, so he gets me started and uh, gives me something to talk about, if nothing else. Right, so where do we go from there? Maybe a, a little bit of the Duran. If, if there's anything new from the Duran, I'll play a little bit of that. Yeah, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to rant, man, man cave. Sometimes you've just got to get it out. It doesn't matter what you're saying, really. It's just getting it out. It's just releasing the energy, ultimately. If it sits there, it sits in your subconscious and it starts to affect your life. So you've got to get it out. Spread it around a bit. Nobody's going to take it particularly seriously anyway, so you might as well just do it. As long as nobody takes it particularly seriously, there's no harm done, is there? So, whatever you say, it just gets something out of you and helps you to move along. Oh, the people I'm hanging around with aren't, aren't, uh, aren't Karens at the moment. So, they, we were, we were in a in the park having a picnic for somebody's 60th birthday last Friday night and the, the level of banter was just unreal it's a it's a, a seriously funny thing because everybody just takes the piss and uh, everything's exaggerated to the point of absurdity at the moment so you can't take it seriously anyway can't take it seriously honestly i feel like i'm in a monty python movie at the moment it just it feels like life of brian or or monty python and the holy grail it really really does to me so i can't take it seriously if i'm creating this myself which i think i probably am at least the little bit that i'm living in i'm doing a really good job of, of creating absurdity Yeah, this, there was about 15 of us in the park on Friday night. So a nice, nice, easy, relaxed night. Changing the world by eating crisps and drinking beer in the park. Or in my case, Krabby's. Ginger ale. Yeah, it's a good night. It's a good night. There'll be a few more of those as well. But I'm doing a little bit of protesting as well. So I've got Friday afternoon. I stand with a with a a board on the on the main road. Might as well say the end of the world is nigh for all the difference it makes. But we do get a conversation out to people in that particular group it's a good group for for generating conversation with uh, with pedestrians usually and the occasional car driver going past will stop 
and pull in somewhere and come over and have a chat. And I think people have uh, opened up a lot. There's a lot less hostility and a lot more openness now than there was like six months ago. I think they were they were just being verbally abused six months ago. I wasn't there, but uh, I started about a month ago. But I think the the atmosphere has changed, so you can you can actually have a conversation with somebody without being abused now, which is a step in the right direction. Uh, and the rebels on roundabouts aren't going to go away. They they're there every Sunday, every Friday afternoon. I'm doing one or two a month with them, and then Sunday morning we've got stand in the park, which is an not quite another picnic, but sometimes it turns into a picnic if it's somebody's birthday or whatever, but it's really just a conversation about what's going on. It tends to get quite political sometimes. Well, it's political all the time, but without it being stated. So I end up in trouble because I tend to not, for whatever reason, I tend to disagree with people. I tend to not not see the world in the same way that they do so we, we end up having a conversation that's uh, it's got more than one point of view in it and if people can't deal with that then tough because there's always more than one point of view I do. That's that's my half an hour. I think I was. I don't know whether to do half an hour shows or to do an hour. At the moment, I'm thinking half and half. Well, I keep going. I keep going. So I'm I'm here and I'm having fun with it. So I see this. See if I can find something else to play. I don't like the Stu Peters stuff. He's a bit too uh, too much of a military operation for me. Here we go. Brian Ardis seems to have opinions about everything as well. So let's have a little bit of Brian Ardis. And we've got some Neil Young in the background, so that'll keep me happy. If this is rubbish, I can just listen to the Neil Young stuff. Many Americans are feeling like strangers in a strange land. Sadly, it's becoming more challenging every day to recognize Documents. Let me just tell you what's there. 
Uh, hospitals are right now being incentivized to murder you. They're being incentivized to criminally and medically kidnap you from your loved ones so you can't get access to them. So we have resources all over my site. We have interviews with doctors telling doctors and families how to actually get someone who's on a vent, who is now the doctors telling the family members that the patient's going to die, how to actually get them off the vent. These are medical doctors telling the other doctors how to do it, how to get them off the vent, what protocols to change to to save these people's lives. So we have tons of resources there. We have documents every single American should have in his home right now that, that in, just in any case of emergency, they decide they have to be in a hospital or we're taken there. Uh, every hospital is incentivized to positively diagnose you with COVID regardless of why you go. You can sprain your ankle. The hospitals are being told, we'll give you extra money by our federal government if you'll just PCR test them all, give us a COVID-19 positive diagnosis, put them on remdesivir, vent them, and then if you kill them and call it COVID-19, we'll give you an additional $9,000 for every death of COVID-19. So there are two forms on that site. One's called the Medical Directive to Physicians form, and the other is the Medical Power of Attorney form. They are on my site. Print them, abbreviate them, initial them, sign them, and then get them notarized and have them at home. Because if you ever end up in a hospital, these medical directives tell the hospital administrators, the attending medical doctors, what you do consent to or do not consent to before you even get in there. So these are just things I'm trying to provide for you through that site as ways of protecting you and your loved ones and preserve your life liberties so you can pursue happiness in the future. You can't pursue happiness if you're dead. So we're trying to protect that. You definitely cannot you definitely cannot preserve happiness if you're dead. That's D D R Artis A R I A R D I S show. The Dr. Artist Show dot com. Where else can we find you? Uh, you can also find information at artistlabs.com. I've got a natural product line where I actually solve the cause for all underlying internal reasons why any teenager adult lives or struggles with acne. I got four teenagers and over a two-year period we created formulations based on research to actually cure the internal causes of acne and we figured it out. Then we conducted clinical trials right before COVID started and I launched this both medicated and all-natural version of my artist acne system which affects 610 million people worldwide every year. So I know 10% of the entire world deals with this every year. And I bet a bunch of your audience does too. So that's why those things are there. That's another place you can find us, but primarily that's where you find us. The doctorartistshow.com and artist left. The doctorartistshow.com is by far the best reference for you to follow me. Also, you can find me on telegram and the doctor artist show. That's there. It's about the only places you'll find me. Rumbles there, brideon.tv. We have live shows there every week. Uh, the Dr. Artist Show goes live every Wednesday mornings, and it's at 10 Eastern Time, 9 Central Time, for an hour every Wednesday morning we do that. It's kind of funny that you mentioned the Brideon, because just as an odd coincidence, and I'll forward this to you here as soon as I get your email back, we had, because we do publish a lot of your stuff over on my sites, you know, the, it publishes on Natural News for Brideon, and uh, we publish it, uh, crediting, of course, Bridie on National News, as we're, we're supposed to do great people over there. And uh, I got an email saying, hey, I'm trying to get a hold of, of uh, Dr. Artis, can you help me? And, and they have they have a, looked like a pretty serious question for you, so I will be forwarding that email to you as soon as we get off the show. Um, you're, you're popular even on my sites. So, you have had, you know, one of the reasons that you became um, 
I guess you could say, kind of in the spotlight when it comes to COVID-19 is because you actually had a personal experience with these hospitals. You're not just fighting this to get people to go to your website. You, you have, I guess, you, I don't want to say vendetta, but you have a, you had a personal experience that drove you to this. Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, uh, it's stop, stop. I get introduced at different events, speaking engagements. I'm now being asked to go to state capitol buildings in multiple states every month to actually give to senators, state reps, the real cause of death behind COVID-19. And I'm asked to testify to all of them. And uh, the way I'm introduced all the time is this is one of the most boldest doctors speaking out against hospital protocols. Well, yeah, I was actually filmed in a documentary one time with Christiana Northrup, and I just have to speak to this. They're actually interviewing like five people who are actually in this movement, the like of Thomas Renz, Dr. Christiana Northrup, and Dr. Eric Naputi. And we're all sitting there around a fire being interviewed for this documentary. And the filmmaker takes a break, and then he goes, I want you guys to articulate when we come back, start filming again. I want to ask the question, why did you get into this? And then just So Dr. Eric Naputi and attorney Thomas Renz are answering the questions on either side of me. And they're talking about their children. The whole reason why they got into this was because they got, they got concerned that the liberties and freedoms that they've enjoyed growing up in America were going to be taken away for their future generations. And they all have young kids. They each have young kids. And they were worried and discussing that uh, they wanted to try to salvage as much of the future generation's ability to have freedoms and liberties like they enjoyed and preserve those because they were worried they were being taken away. And I'm sitting there just staring at the fire. <laughs> I said, I really love all of you talking about your children. I have five children. I haven't even thought about them once in two years. And this is not a joke. I said, I haven't thought about them for two years. None of this did I get into because of my children. I said, uh, I actually am in this solely for vengeance. And Christiana Northrup lost it, dying laughing. And she, she like grabs me. She's like, that is a great answer, Dr. Artis. You know, in the New Testament, they talk about righteous anger. <laughs> and I said, uh, you can call it righteous anger if you want to. I don't feel righteousness in any of this. I'm just angry. And they killed my father-in-law in a hospital. And I'm going to be damned if I'm going to let them kill one another innocent human being and impact the lives of all these innocent families around the world like they did to mine. And I'm going to hold them all accountable. So I'm going to call them out on all of their criminality, evilness, and genocide that they are creating. And that's really, that just sets the stage for why I'm doing this. I actually was just furious. Uh, they murdered my father-in-law in a hospital early February of 2020 over a nine-day period. Uh, they actually, this is before COVID. It's about three weeks before COVID even got to Texas. So there were no restrictions. He just walked himself into a hospital complaining of fever and a headache. They misdiagnosed him with the flu, which he never tested positive for. They tested him with pneumonia the next day, which he never had. It was actually pulmonary edema, which was water in his lungs from causing kidney failure, which they called us on day three to let us know he was now in acute kidney failure, which was being caused by a drug they put him on on day one, unbeknownst to us. Day five, they called us to say he now is in such severe acute kidney failure. He couldn't breathe from the severe pneumonia, so now he was being put on a vent to force air into his lungs, and he was now unconscious or going unconscious. That's when I went up to the hospital for the first time with my wife to find out what in the world are y'all doing to him. And only to discover that the hospital protocols they were using for a 
misdiagnosed flu, which he never tested positive for. The drug of choice they used to treat his his flu virus was a drug called vancomycin, which is a terrible last resort antibiotic. It's extremely toxic and actually causes acute kidney failure in a high percentage of people. And I knew it the moment I walked in the room and saw it hanging on the IV stand that this is what they were putting into him from day one. So I confronted the doctors on day six and seven. We made changes to the protocol that I demanded. He actually got better within a five-hour period. He was breathing on his own. He was conscious, only to find out after we went home on the night of the 6th, after we made these changes, that the hospital administrators contacted the nurse's station to call my wife and say they were stopping all of the change protocols that were helping him and reverting back to the previous protocols that was destroying him. And this was, I knew, an attempt to cover up their liability that I exposed that their protocols were destroying his organs internally and causing him to go unconscious, be put on a vent, when in reality, when we changed the protocols within the same day, he came off the forced air and he was able to breathe on his own and he became conscious. This was a huge alarm for the hospital administrators because I exposed that they were killing him. So the next day I went flying up there to challenge them to go back onto the protocols they had already said the day before they would do, that were making the improvements. And they had me kicked out of the hospital, had escort, escorted me out with security. No longer were going to talk to me, convince my wife's family and the rest of her family to follow and trust the medical doctors versus this chiropractor who was exposing it all, who's been studying health for the last 20 years. Uh, anyway, they denied rights and access and information to consent with me, and we're only going to consent with his wife, who didn't know anything better than what even the patient knew at the time. And over the next 48 hours, they continued the protocols they started with and convinced the family. 48 hours later, he's doing so poorly, it's time to let him go. We need to put him on palliative care, which is, in definition, eugenics. Not eugenics, euthanasia. We're going to actually euthanize this person with morphine, and we're going to poison him to death until he dies. And they did over a four-and-a-half-hour period. They pumped enough morphine into him to paralyze his diaphragm so he couldn't breathe anymore, stopped his heart from beating, and this is how they killed him. That was the most traumatic thing I'd ever experienced in my whole life. Uh, my wife had actually asked me to come up there and be there at the bedside with her while they did this, even though they wouldn't let me talk or assist or take my recommendations anymore. Uh, to watch them do this to him over four hours was just god-awful. And so uh, he died in front of me. I watched him take his last breath and choke on his last ability to breathe. Watched his spirit leave his body. And then uh, for the next three months, I literally sat at home all day long plotting how I was going to murder one of those people's family members and let them feel what I felt. One of the doctors, nurses, administrators, whoever it was, my ginger-like anger just went flying. And uh, three months later, uh, amidst all of my anger, depression, grief, I never felt like that before my entire life, man. I'm telling you, it was awful. But uh, three months later, in May of 2020, so he dies. We have the funeral. We're able to attend the funeral. COVID hadn't come to Texas yet, but a week later, he gets to Texas. And then all these lockdowns, band-aids, whatever, start kicking in. But I'm not paying attention to any of that. And then on my phone one day, there's this alert that comes up from like Apple News on my iPhone. And it says, today is a record day. More people died today in the United States than any other country's total amounts of death in one day for, for COVID-19. And I was like, wait a minute. 
why in the world would America be failing its its citizens more than any other country during this deadly pandemic? Okay, you have to understand. America still has failed more than any other country worldwide in preventing the deaths of their citizens from COVID-19, supposedly. We have almost 900,000 dead Americans from COVID-19. No other country even has 700,000 dead citizens. America is failing more than all of them still. But in May of 2020, in the very beginning, there was this alert that came up that said, today is a record day of death totals for worldwide. No other country has had more than 1,000 people die in one day, and we had it today in America. And I was like, what? How can America be failing more than all other countries? So I actually went to watch some videos online to find out what were they doing and what were they reporting in hospitals around the country. And at this point in May of 2020, I realized that during the period of my grieving and plotting for murder, in March and April of 2020, during these months while I'm plotting my revenge, there's these doctors being interviewed in press conferences in New York over and over and over and over and over. What's happening to these patients in hospitals in New York City? And every single doctor said the same thing. We've never seen a virus do this before, especially a respiratory virus. When we start treating these COVID-19 infected patients, the virus goes from the lungs and it attacks their kidneys and is causing acute kidney failure like we've never seen on days three, four, and five of treatment. And here in New York, we don't have enough ventilators, one, but we also don't have enough dialysis machines to handle the, the kidney failure. Now you have to understand, I watched about 10 of these different interviews in May of 2020 that were still online on CNN, Fox News, wherever. And the only thing that kept coming up was, every single one of these doctors in New York are saying acute kidney failure on day three, four, and five. Well, my father-in-law, just three months earlier, when he was being treated for another virus called the flu, they called us on day three and said he was going into acute kidney failure. On day three, that got worse on day three, four, and five, only to find out the drug they were giving him was causing it from day one. So immediately I wanted to know what are they treating patients with, so I went on CDC.gov's website. I knew it had to be a drug. CDC did not have a recommendation for treatment for COVID-19. They said on their website in May 14th or so, 2020, they said, we've adopted the NIH's protocol. So I went to the NIH's website. I read Dr. Anthony Fauci's name for the first time on a memo to the entire United States of what the only approved, not approved, it was an experimental antiviral drug called remdesivir. It's the only drug being authorized to be used in all COVID-19 treated Americans. And in that same little memo, he said, no one can use hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine because it damages the heart and causes death in COVID-19 patients in studies around the world. This is what he said. So I, I wasn't concerned about hydroxychloroquine because he said no one could use it. I was only interested in this drug remdesivir because I was getting alerts on my phone that people were dying more than any other country. So I want to know, well, what are they using? And the only drug Anthony Fauci was allowing to be used was remdesivir, this new drug I'd never heard of. So he quoted two studies, one of which he said supports his decision to select only remdesivir to be used in all hospitals in America for COVID-19 infections. And he said it was proven safe and effective in the Ebola trial in Africa a year earlier. So it was successful against that virus. And then he said two months earlier in March of 2020, the maker of remdesivir called Gilead found it to be safe and effective against COVID-19 in a small study of 53 COVID-19 patients. Well, I read the studies. And within five minutes of reading the studies, the first study, the only thing I concluded is 
Anthony Fauci was a liar. I didn't even know who this guy was. All I knew by name on this memo that he was flat out lying to the American public because in that study, which is still today on New England Journals of Medicine's website, the Ebola trial lasted one year and it had four drugs, experimental drugs, put into the study that they gave to four different regions of Africa. And there's a safety board always assigned to every study that has experimental drugs and human trials. And the safety board, all their job is, is to review the data. Okay, we're giving these people this experimental drug, these people this experimental drug, and they want to see what happens to these people. Are they getting better, worse? Are they dying? Are they getting sick? What is it? And they report back to the funder of the study all the results. Well, in the study, you can look it up right now. The study started in November of 2018. In August of 2019, the safety board said they saw two things that they had a problem with with two of the drugs of the four in the study. So they pulled them from the study and didn't let anybody else have them. One, because they were so ineffective. And number two, they killed more people than the other two drugs were. Remdesivir, they pulled remdesivir from the study because it was the only drug that killed over 50% of the people they gave the drug to. It had a 53% death rate of all they gave it to. The other drug they pulled had a death rate of 49.7% of all of them. So not quite 50%, but they pulled them both anyway and said no one else can get these drugs. And Anthony Fauci in the memo, five months later, after the study published in December 2019, he says it was found to be safe and effective in the Ebola virus trial. And I just clicked the hyperlink to the study he was quoting, only to learn then the safety board said it was the least effective and the most dangerous. So it was not... It was not true. All right, that's Brian Ardis. Um, I'm playing that on BitChute on on the Falcon Cafe channel. Falcon's Cafe. Uh, but if you just look up Dr. Brian Ardis, uh, it's an hour's interview, and I uh, played about 15, 20 minutes of it. So that's enough to get a feel for it. Um, and I'll, I might play some more later on today. It's, it sounded like quite a good, uh, a good interview. Well, that's it, pretty much it for me. That's we're coming up to the hour mark, so you can find me online. I'll be here probably again later on today. I'm going to try and get here for two o'clock and do another show. And I'm going to do my best to do shows at nine and two my time every day this week and see where that takes me. Uh, if I can. If I can get a routine together that I'll, I'll stick with it and, and start getting a bit more momentum again and uh, you can find me on Odyssey or if you look for free association radio show uh, you'll find me on Odyssey on Spotify on Rumble uh, on brand YouTube all of those types of places and YouTube as well YouTube as well uh, I'm not doing live streams as much now because I'm, I'm going to focus on the radio for a little while because the radio is where my, where my passion is really. The live streams are interesting but they, they take a bit more firepower than my laptop's got so the, the laptop tends to fall over if I do a live stream and radio I can just do and not worry about it too much. So that's pretty much it. Thanks for listening. I'll see you again at 2 o'clock this afternoon. So 6 a.m. US time, 2 o'clock my time.